Introduction Love of country is a sentiment so universal that it is only on such rare occasions as called this book into being that there is any need of discussing it or justifying it. There is a perfectly absurd statement by Charles Kingsley in the preface to one of his books written 50 years ago in which he says that while there can be loyalty to a king or a queen there cannot be loyalty to one's country this story of Philip Nolan was written in the darkest period of the Civil War to show what love of country is there were persons then who thought that if their advice had been taken there need have been no Civil War there were persons whose everyday pursuits were greatly deranged by the Civil War it proved that the lesson was a lesson gladly received I have had letters from seamen who read it as they were lying in our blockade squadrons off the mouths of southern harbors I have had letters from men who read it soon after the Vicksburg campaign and in other ways I have had many illustrations of its having been of use in what I have a right to call the darkest period of the Republic today we are not in the darkest period of the Republic this nation never wishes to make war our whole policy is a policy of peace and peace is the protection of the Christian civilization too which we are pledged it is always desirable to teach young men and young women and old men and old women and all sorts of people to understand what the country is it is a being the Lord God of nations has called it into existence and has placed it here with certain duties in defense of the civilization of the world it was the intention of this parable which describes the life of one man who tried to separate himself from his country to show how terrible was his mistake it does not need now that a man should curse the United States as Philip Nolan did or that he should say he hopes he may never hear her name again to make it desirable for him to consider the lessons which are involved in the parable of his life any man is without a country who by his sneers or by looking backward or by revealing his country's secrets to her enemy checks for one hour the movements which lead to peace among the nations of the world or weakens the arm of the nation in her determination to secure justice between man and man and in general to secure the larger life of her people he has not damned the United States in a spoken oath all the same he is a dastard child there is a definite visible progress in the affairs of this world Jesus Christ at the end of his life prayed to God that all men might become one as thou father art in me and I in thee that they also may be one in us the history of the world for 1870 years since he spoke has shown the steady fulfillment of the hope expressed in this prayer men are nearer unity they are nearer to being one than they were then thus 
At that moment each tribe in unknown America was at war with each other tribe. At this moment there is not one hostile weapon used by one American against another. From Cape Bathurst at the north to the southern point of Patagonia. At that moment Asia, Africa, and Europe were scenes of similar discord. Europe herself knows so little of herself that no man would pretend to say which longbeards were cutting the throats of other longbeards, or which Scots were lying in ambush for which Britons. In any year of the first century of our era, call it the philosophy of history, or call it the providence of God, it is certain that the unity of the race of man has asserted itself as the savior of mankind said it should. In this growing unity of mankind it has come about that the Sultan of Turkey cannot permit the massacre of Armenian Christians without answering for such permission before the world. It has come about that no viceroy serving a woman who is the guardian of a boy can be permitted to starve at his pleasure two hundred thousand of God's children. The world is so closely united that is to say. Unity is so real that when such a viceroy does undertake to commit such an iniquity, somebody shall hold his hands. The story of Philip Nolan was published in such a crisis that it met the public eye and interest. It met the taste of the patriotic public at the moment. It was copied everywhere without the slightest deference to copyright. It was, by the way, printed much more extensively in England than it was in America. Immediately there began to appear a series of speculations based on what you would have said was an unimportant error of mine. My hero is a purely imaginary character. The critics are right in saying that not only there never was such a man, but there never could have been such a man. But he had to have a name. And the choice of a name in a novel is a matter of essential importance. As it proved to be here. Now I had a hero who was a young man in 1807. He knew nothing at that time but the valley of the Mississippi River. He had been educated on a plantation where the finest company was a Spanish officer or a French merchant from Orleans. He must therefore have a name familiar to Western people at that time. Well, I remembered that in the preposterous memoirs of General James Wilkinson's, whenever he had a worse scrape than usual to explain. He would say that the papers were lost when M.R. Nolan was imprisoned or was killed in Texas. This M.R. Nolan, as Wilkinson generally calls him, had been engaged with Wilkinson in some speculations mostly relating to horses. Remembering this, I took the name Nolan for my hero. I made my man the real man's brother. He had spent half his youth with an older brother, hunting horses in Texas. And again, dash he was catching wild horses in Texas with his adventurous cousin. Note.
young authors may observe that he is called a brother in one place and a cousin in another. Because such slips would take place in a real narrative. Proofreaders do not like them. But they give a plausibility to the story. I had the impression that Wilkinson's partner was named Stephen. And as Philip and Stephen were both evangelists in the Bible, I named my man Philip Nolan. On the supposition that the mother who named one son Stephen would name another Philip. It was not for a year after that. In looking at Wilkinson's memoirs again, I found to my amazement, not to say my dismay, that Wilkinson's partner was named Philip Nolan. We had, therefore, two Philip Nolans. One a real historical character, who was murdered by the Spaniards on the 21st of March, 1801, at Waco in Texas. The other a purely imaginary character invented by myself, who appears for the first time on the 2-3-D of September, 1807, at a court-martial at Fort Adams. I supposed nobody but myself in New England had ever heard of Philip Nolan. But in the Southwest, in Texas and Louisiana, it was but 62 years since the Spaniards murdered him. In truth, it was the death of Nolan, the real Philip Nolan, killed by one Spanish governor, while he held the safe conduct of another, which roused that wave of indignation in the southwest which ended in the independence of Texas. I think the state of Texas would do well today if it placed the statue of the real Phil Nolan in the Capitol at Washington by the side of that of Sam Houston. In the midst of the war the story was published in the Atlantic Monthly of December 1863 in the southwest the Atlantic at once found its way into regions where the real Phil Nolan was known. A writer in the New Orleans Picayune in a careful historical paper explained at length that I had been mistaken all the way through that Philip Nolan never went to sea but to Texas I received a letter from a lady in Baltimore who told me that two widowed sisters of his lived in that neighborhood unfortunately for me this letter written in perfectly good faith was signed E F M Bachts I was receiving many letters on the subject daily I supposed that my correspondent was concealing her name and was really eager for more facts when in reality I had the pleasure of meeting her a year or two afterwards the two widowed Sisters of the real Phil Nolan were both dead. But in 1876 I was fortunate enough, on the kind invitation of M.R. Minor, to visit his family in their beautiful plantation at Terrebonne. There, I saw an old Negro who was a boy when Master Phil Nolan left the old 
plantation on the Mississippi River for the last time. Master Phil Nolan had then married Miss Fanny Lintot, who was, I think, the aunt of my host. He permitted me to copy the miniature of the young adventurer. I have since done my best to repair the error by which I gave Philip Nolan's name to another person by telling the story of his fate in a book called Philip Nolan's Friends. For the purpose of that book, I studied the history of Miranda's attempt against Spain and of John Adams's preparations for a descent of the Mississippi River. The professional historians of the United States are very reticent in their treatment of these themes. At the time when John Adams had a little army at Cincinnati, ready to go down and take New Orleans, there were no Western correspondents to the Eastern press. Within a year after the publication of The Man Without a Country in the Atlantic more than half a million copies of the story had been printed in America and in England. I had curious accounts from the army and navy of the interest with which it was read by gentlemen on duty. One of our officers in the state of Mississippi lent the Atlantic to a lady in the minor family. She ran into the parlor, crying out, Here is a man who knows all about Uncle Phil Nolan, an Ohio officer, who entered the city of Jackson, in Mississippi, with Grant, told me that he went at once to the state house. Matters were in a good deal of confusion there, and he picked up from the floor a paper containing the examination of underscore Philip Nolan underscore at Walnut Springs the old name of Vicksburg this was before the real Phillips last expedition the United States authorities in the execution of the neutrality laws had called him to account and had made him show the evidence that he had the permission of the governor of New Orleans for his expedition in 1876 I visited Louisiana and Texas to obtain material for Philip Nolan's friends. I obtained there several autographs of the real Phil Nolan and the original Spanish record of one of the trials of the survivors of his party. A trial which resulted in the cruel execution of Ephraim Blackburn seven years after he was arrested that whole transaction, wholly ignored by all historians of the United States known to me, is a sad blot on the American administration of the Spanish kings. Their excuse is the confusion of everything in Madrid between 1801 and 1807. The hatred of the Mexican authorities among our Frontiersmen of the Southwest is largely due to the dishonor and cruelty of those transactions. Edward E. Hale The Man Without a Country I note one suppose that very few casual readers of the New York Herald of August 13, 1863 observed No two in an obscure corner among the deaths 
The announcement. Nolan. Died. On board you. S. Corvette Levant. Note 3 lat. 2 degrees 11 minutes s. Long. 131 degrees w. On the 11th of May. Philip Nolan. I happened to observe it. Because I was stranded at the old mission. House in Mackinac. Waiting for a Lake Superior steamer which did not. Choose to come. And I was devouring to the very stubble all the current. Literature I could get hold of. Even down to the deaths and marriages in. The Herald. My memory for names and people is good. And the reader. We'll see. As he goes on. That I had reason enough to remember Philip. Nolan. There are hundreds of readers who would have paused at that. Announcement. If the officer of the Levant who reported it had chosen. To make it thus. Died. May 11th. The man without a country. Or it was. As the man without a country that poor Philip Nolan had generally been known by the officers who had him in charge during some fifty years as indeed by all the men who sailed under them I dare say there is many a man who has taken wine with him once a fortnight in a three years cruise who never knew that his name was Nolan or whether the poor wretch had any name at all there can now be no possible harm in telling this poor creature's story. Reason enough there has been till now. Ever since Madison's Note 4. Administration went out in 1817. For very strict secrecy. The secrecy of. Honor itself. Among the gentlemen of the Navy who have had Nolan in. Successive charge. And certainly it speaks well for the underscore esprit de core underscore of the profession and the personal honor of its members. That too. The press this man's story has been wholly unknown. And I think too. The country at large also. I have reason to think from some investigations I made in the naval archives when I was attached to the Bureau of Construction. That every official report relating to him was burned when Ross burned the public buildings at Washington. One of the Tuckers, or possibly one of the Watsons, had Nolan in charge at the end of the war. And when, on returning from his cruise, he reported at Washington to one of the Crown and Shields, who was in the Navy Department. When he came home, he found that the department ignored the whole business. Whether they really knew nothing about it, or whether it was a underscore non me recordo underscore determined on as a piece of policy, I do not know. But this I do know. That since 1817, and possibly before, no naval Officer has mentioned Nolan in his report of a cruise. But, as I say, there is no need for secrecy any longer. And now the poor creature is dead.
it seems to me worthwhile to tell a little of his story by way of showing young Americans of today what it is to be a man without a country. Philip Nolan was as fine a young officer as there was in the Legion of the West, as the Western Division of our army was then called. When Aaron Burnote V made his first dashing expedition down to New Orleans in 1805, at Fort Massac, or somewhere above on the river, he met, as the devil would have it, this gay, dashing, bright young fellow, at some dinner party, I think, remarked him, talked to him, walked, with him, took him a day or two's voyage in his flatboat, and, in, short, fascinated him, for the next year, Barrack life was very tame to poor Nolan. He occasionally availed himself of the permission the great man had given him to write to him. Long, high-worded, stilted letters. The poor boy wrote and rewrote and copied. But never a line did he have. In reply from the gay deceiver, the other boys in the garrison sneered at him because he lost the fun which they found in shooting or rowing, while he was working away on these grand letters to his grand friend. They could not understand why Nolan kept by himself while they were playing high-low jack. Poker was not yet invented, but before long the young fellow had his revenge. For this time His Excellency, Honorable Aaron Burr, appeared again under a very different aspect. There were rumors that he had an army behind him and everybody supposed that he had an empire before him. At that time the youngsters all envied him. Burr had not been talking twenty minutes with the commander before he asked him to send for Lieutenant Nolan. Then after a little talk he asked Nolan if he could show him something of the Great River and the plans for the new post. He asked Nolan to take him out in his skiff to show him a canebrake or a cottonwood tree. As he said, really to seduce him. And by the time the sail was over, Nolan was enlisted body and soul. From that time, though he did not yet know it, he lived as a man, without a country. What Burr meant to do I know no more than you. Dear reader, it is none of our business just now. Only when the grand catastrophe came and Jefferson and the House of Virginia of that day undertook to break on the will all the possible clearances of the then House of York by the great treason trial at Richmond. Some of the lesser fry in that distant Mississippi Valley which was farther from us than Puget Sound is today, introduced the like novelty on their provincial stage. And, too, while away the monotony of the summer at Fort Adams, got up, or, spectacles, a string of court-martials on the officers there. One and, another of the colonels and majors were tried, and, to fill out the, 
list. Little Nolan. Against whom? Heaven knows. There was evidence. Enough. That he was sick of the service. Had been willing to be false. To it. And would have obeyed any order to march any whither with anyone. Who would follow him had the order been signed. By command of his EXC. A. Burr. The courts dragged on. The big flies escaped. Rightly for all. I know. Nolan was proved guilty enough. As I say. Yet you and I would. Never have heard of him. Reader. But that. When the president of the. Court asked him at the close whether he wished to say anything to show. That he had always been faithful to the United. States. He cried out. In. A fit of frenzy. Damn the United States. I wish I may never hear of the United States. Again. I suppose he did not know how the words shocked old Colonel Morgan. Note 6 who was holding the court. Half the officers who sat in it had. Served through the revolution. And their lives. Not to say their necks. Had been risked for the very idea which he so cavalierly cursed in his. Madness. He. On his part. Had grown up in the west of those days. In the. Midst of Spanish plot. Orleans plot. And all the rest. He had been. Educated on a plantation where the finest company was a Spanish officer. Or a French merchant from Orleans. His education. Such as it was. Had. Been perfected in commercial expeditions to Veracruz. And I think he. Told me his father once hired an Englishman to be a private tutor for a. Winter on the plantation. He had spent half his youth with an older. Brother. Hunting horses in Texas. And. In a word. To him United States. Was scarcely a reality. Yet he had been fed by United States for all. The years since he had been in the army. He had sworn on his faith as a. Christian to be true to United States. It was United States which. Gave him the uniform he wore. And the sword by his side. Nay. My poor. Nolan. It was only because United States had picked you out first as. One of her own confidential men of honor that a. Burr cared for you a. Straw more than for the flat boat men who sailed his ark for him. I do. Not excuse Nolan. I only explain to the reader why he damned his. Country. And wished he might never hear her name again. He never did hear her name but once again. From that moment. September. 23. 1807. Till the day he died. May 11. 1863. He never heard her name again. For that half century and more he was a man without a country. Old Morgan. As I said. Was terribly shocked. If Nolan had compared. George Washington to Benedict Arnold. Or had cried. God save King. George. Morgan would not have felt worse. 
He called the court into his private room and returned in 15 minutes with a face like a sheet to say Prisoner Hear the sentence of the court The court decides Subject to The approval of the president That you never hear the name of the United States again Nolan laughed But nobody else laughed Old Morgan was too solemn And The whole room was hushed dead as night for a minute Even Nolan lost His swagger in a moment Then Morgan added Mr. Marshal Take the prisoner to Orleans in an armed boat And deliver Him to the naval commander there the marshal gave his orders and the prisoner was taken out of court. Mr. Marshal. Continued Old Morgan. See that no one mentions the United States to the prisoner. Mr. Marshal. Make my respects to Lieutenant Mitchell at Orleans. And request him to order that no one shall mention the United States to the prisoner while he is on board. Ship. You will receive your written orders from the officer on duty here. This evening. The court is adjourned without day. I have always supposed that Colonel Morgan himself took the proceedings. Of the court to Washington City. And explained them to Mr. Jefferson. Certain it is that the president approved them. Certain. That is. If I. May believe the men who say they have seen his signature. Before the Nautilus got round from New Orleans to the northern Atlantic coast With the prisoner on board The sentence had been approved And he was a Man without a country The plan then adopted was substantially the same which was necessarily Followed ever after Perhaps it was suggested by the necessity of Sending him by water from Fort Adams and Orleans The secretary of the Navy it must have been the first crown and shield. Though he is a man I do. Not remember was requested to put Nolan on board a government vessel. Bound on a long cruise. And to direct that he should be only so far. Confined there as to make it certain that he never saw or heard of the. Country. We had few long cruises then. And the Navy was very much out of. Favor. And as almost all of this story is traditional, as I have explained, I do not know certainly what his first cruise was. But the commander to whom he was entrusted, perhaps it was Tingi or Shaw, though I think it was one of the younger men. We are all old enough. Now, regulated the etiquette and the precautions of the affair. And, According to his scheme they were carried out, I suppose, till Nolan died, when I was second officer of the Intrepid, some thirty years after, I saw the original paper of instructions. I have been sorry ever since, that I did not copy the whole of it. It ran, however, much in this way, Washington, with a date which must have been late in 1807. Sir, you will receive from Lieutenant Neal the person of Philip 
Nolan. Late a lieutenant in the United States Army. This person on his trial by court-martial expressed. With an oath. The. Wish that he might never hear of the United States again. The court sentenced him to have his wish fulfilled. For the present. The execution of the order is entrusted by the. President to this department. You will take the prisoner on board your ship. And keep him there with. Such precautions as shall prevent his escape. You will provide him with such quarters. Rations. And clothing as would. Be proper for an officer of his late rank. If he were a passenger on. Your vessel on the business of his government. The gentlemen on board will make any arrangements agreeable to. Themselves regarding his society. He is to be exposed to no indignity of. Any kind. Nor is he ever unnecessarily to be reminded that he is a. Prisoner. But under no circumstances is he ever to hear of his country or to see. Any information regarding it. And you will especially caution all the. Officers under your command to take care. That. In the various. Indulgences which may be granted. This rule. In which his punishment is. Involved. Shall not be broken. It is the intention of the government that he shall never again see the. Country which he has disowned. Before the end of your cruise you will. Receive orders which will give effect to this. Intention. Respectfully yours. W. Southard. Or the. Secretary of the Navy. If I had only preserved the whole of this paper. There would be no break. In the beginning of my sketch of this story. Or Captain Shaw. If it. Were he. Handed it to his successor in the charge. And he to his. And I. Suppose the commander of the Levant has it today as his authority for. Keeping this man in this mild custody. The rule adopted on board the ships on which I have met the man without. A country was. I think. Transmitted from the beginning. No mess liked. To have him permanently. Because his presence cut off all talk of home. Or of the prospect of return. Of politics or letters. Of peace or of. War. Cut off more than half the talk men like to have at sea. But it. Was always thought too hard that he should never meet the rest of us. Except to touch hats. And we finally sank into one system. He was not. Permitted to talk with the men. Unless an officer was by. With officers. He had unrestrained intercourse. As far as they and he chose. But he. Grew shy. Though he had favorites. I was one. Then the captain always asked him to dinner on Monday. Every mess in succession took up the invitation in its turn. According to the size of the ship, you had him at your mess more or less often at dinner. His breakfast he ate in his own stateroom. He always had a stateroom which was where a sentinel or somebody on the watch could see the door and whatever else he ate or drank he ate or drank alone sometimes 
when the marines or sailors had any special jollification. They were permitted to invite plain buttons, as they called him. Then Nolan was sent with some officer, and the men were forbidden to speak of home while he was there. I believe the theory was that the sight of his punishment did them good. They called him plain buttons. Because, while he always chose to wear a regulation army uniform, he was not permitted to wear the army button, or the reason that it bore either the initials or the insignia of the country he had disowned. I remember, soon after I joined the Navy, I was unsure with some of the older officers from our ship and from the Brandywine, which we had met at Alexandria. We had leave to make a party and go up to Cairo and the pyramids. As we jogged along, you went on donkeys then. Some of the gentlemen, we boys called them dons. But the phrase was long since changed, bell to talking about Nolan. And someone told the system which was adopted from the first about his books and other reading. As he was almost never permitted to go on shore, even though the vessel lay in port for months. His time at the best hung heavy, and everybody was permitted to lend him books, if they were not published in America and made no allusion to it. These were common enough in the old days, when people in the other hemisphere talked of the United States as little as we do of Paraguay. He had almost all the foreign papers that came into the ship. Sooner or later, only somebody must go over them first and cut out any advertisement or stray paragraph that alluded to America. This was a little cruel sometimes, when the back of what was cut out might be as innocent as Hesiod, right in the midst of one of Napoleon's battles or one of Canning's speeches. Poor Nolan would find a great hole. Because on the back of the page of that paper there had been an advertisement of a packet for New York, or a scrap from the President's message. I say this was the first time I ever heard of this plan, which, afterwards I had enough and more than enough to do with. I remember it, because poor Phillips, who was of the party, as soon as the allusion to reading was made told a story of something which happened at the Cape of Good Hope on Nolan's first voyage, and it is the only thing I ever knew of that voyage. They had touched at the Cape, and had done the civil thing with the English admiral and the fleet, and then, leaving for a long cruise up the Indian Ocean, Phillips had borrowed a lot of English books from an officer, which in those days, as indeed in these, was quite a windfall. Among them, as the devil would order, was the lay of the last minstrel. Note 7 which they had all of them heard of, but which most of them had never seen. I think it could not have been published long. Well, nobody thought there could be any risk of anything. 
national in that. Though Phillips swore old Shaw had cut out the tempest from Shakespeare before he let Nolan have it. Because he said, the Bermudas ought to be ours. And, by Jove, should be one day. So, Nolan was permitted to join the circle one afternoon when a lot of them sat on deck smoking and reading aloud. People do not do such things so often now. But when I was young we got rid of a great deal of time so. Well. So it happened that in his turn Nolan took the book and read to the others. And he read very well. As I know. Nobody in the circle knew. A line of the poem. Only it was all magic and border chivalry. And was. Ten thousand years ago. Poor Nolan read steadily through the fifth. Canto. Stopped a minute and drank something. And then began. Without a. Thought of what was coming. Breathes there the man. With soul so dead. Who never to himself hath said. Dash. It seems impossible to us that anybody ever heard this for the first. Time. But all these fellows did then. And poor Nolan himself went on. Still unconsciously or mechanically. This is my own. My native land. Then they all saw that something was to pay. But he expected to get. Through. I suppose. Turned a little pale. But plunged on. Whose heart hath ne'er within him burned. As home his footsteps he hath turned. From wandering on a foreign strand. If such there breathe. Go. Mark him well. Dash. By this time the men were all beside themselves. Wishing there was any. Way to make him turn over two pages. But he had not quite presence of. Mind for that. He gagged a little. Colored crimson. And staggered on. For him no minstrel raptures swell. High though his titles. Proud his name. Boundless his wealth as wish can claim. Despite these titles. Power. And pelf. The wretch. Concentered all in self. Dash. And here the poor fellow choked. Could not go on. But started up. Swung. The book into the sea. Vanished into his stateroom. And by Jove. Said. Phillips. We did not see him for two months again. And I had to make up. Some beggarly story to that English surgeon why I did not return his. Walter Scott to him. That story shows about the time when Nolan's braggadocio must have. Broken down. At first. They said. He took a very high tone. Considered. His imprisonment a mere farce. Affected to enjoy the voyage. And all. That. But Phillips said that after he came out of his stateroom he. Never was the same man again. He never read aloud again. Unless it was. The Bible or Shakespeare. Or something else he was sure of. But it was. Not that merely. He never entered in with the other young men exactly as. A companion again. He was always shy afterwards. 
when I knew him. Very. Seldom spoke. Unless he was spoken to. Except to a very few friends. He. Lighted up occasionally. I remember late in his life hearing him fairly. Eloquent on something which had been suggested to him by one of. Bletchier's sermons. But generally he had the nervous. Tired look of a. Heart wounded man. When Captain Shaw was coming home. If. As I say. It was Shaw. Rather. To the surprise of everybody they made one of the Windward Islands. And. Lay off and on for nearly a week. The boys said the officers were sick. Of salt junk. And meant to have turtle soup before they came home. But. After several days the Warren came to the same rendezvous. They. Exchanged signals. She sent to Phillips and these homeward bound men. Letters and papers. And told them she was outward bound. Perhaps to the. Mediterranean. And took poor Nolan and his traps on the boat back to try. His second cruise. He looked very blank when he was told to get ready to. Join her. He had known enough of the signs of the sky to know that till. That moment he was going home. But this was a distinct evidence of. Something he had not thought of. Perhaps. That there was no going home. For him. Even to a prison. And this was the first of some twenty such. Transfers. Which brought him sooner or later into half our best vessels. But which kept him all his life at least some hundred miles from the. Country he had hoped he might never hear of again. It may have been on that second cruise. It was once when he was up the. Mediterranean. That MRS. Groff. The celebrated southern beauty of those. Days. Danced with him. They had been lying a long time in the Bay of. Naples. And the officers were very intimate in the English fleet. And. There had been great festivities. And our men thought they must give a. Great ball on board the ship. How they ever did it on board the Warren. I am sure I do not know. Perhaps it was not the Warren. Or perhaps. Ladies did not take up so much room as they do now. They wanted to use. Nolan's state room for something. And they hated to do it without asking. Him to the ball. So the captain said they might ask him. If they would. Be responsible that he did not talk with the wrong people. Who would. Give him intelligence. So the dance went on. The finest party that had. Ever been known. I dare say. Or I never heard of a man of war ball that. Was not. Or ladies. They had the family of the American consul. One or. Two travelers who had adventured so far. And a nice bevy of English. Girls and matrons. Perhaps Lady Hamilton herself. Well. Different officers relieved each other in standing and talking. With Nolan in a friendly way. So as to be sure that nobody else spoke to. Him. The dancing went on with spirit. And after a while even the fellows. 
who took this honorary guard of Nolan ceased to fear any underscore contraton underscore. Only when some English lady lady Hamilton. As I said. Perhaps called. Or a set of American dances. An odd thing happened. Everybody then. Danced contra dances. The black band. Nothing loath. Conferred as to. What American dances were. And started off with Virginia Reel. Which. They followed with Money Musk. Which. In its turn in those days. Should have been followed by the old 13. But just as Dick. The. Leader. Tapped for his fiddles to begin. And bent forward. About to say. In true Negro state. The old 13. Gentlemen and ladies. As he. Had said virgin. Any real. If you please. And money musk. If you. Please. The captain's boy tapped him on the shoulder. Whispered to him. And he did not announce the name of the dance. He merely bowed. Began on. The air. And they all fell to. The officers teaching the English girls. The figure. But not telling them why it had no name. But that is not the story I started to tell. As the dancing went on. Nolan and our fellows all got at ease. As I said. So much so. That it. Seemed quite natural for him to bow to that splendid MRS. Groff. And. Say. I hope you have not forgotten me. Miss Rutledge. Shall I have the honor. Of dancing. He did it so quickly. That fellows. Who was with him. Could not hinder. Him. She laughed and said. I am not Miss Rutledge any longer. Mr. Nolan. But I will dance all the. Same. Just nodded to fellows. As if to say he must leave Mr. Nolan to. Her. And led him off to the place where the dance was forming. Nolan thought he had got his chance. He had known her at Philadelphia. And at other places had met her. And this was a godsend. You could not. Talk in contradances. As you do in cotillions. Or even in the pauses of. Waltzing. But there were chances for tongues and sounds. As well as for. Eyes and blushes. He began with her travels. And Europe. And Vesuvius. And the French. And then. When they had worked down. And had that long. Talking time at the bottom of the set. He said boldly. A little pale. She said. As she told me the story years after. And what do you hear from home? MRS. Groff. And that splendid creature looked through him. Jove. How she must have. Looked through him. Home. Mr. Nolan. I thought you were the man who never wanted to hear. Of home again. Dash and she walked directly up the deck to her husband. And. Left poor Nolan alone. As he always was. He did not dance again. I.
cannot give any history of him in order. Nobody can now. And. Indeed. I. Am not trying to. These are the traditions. Which I sort out. As I believe them. From the. Myths which have been told about this man for forty years. The lies that. Have been told about him are legion. The fellows used to say he was the. Iron Mask. And poor George Pons went to his grave in the belief that. This was the author of Junius. Who was being punished for his. Celebrated libel on Thomas Jefferson. Pons was not very strong in the. Historical line. A happier story than either of these I have told is of the war. That. Came along soon after. I have heard this affair told in three or four. Ways. And. Indeed. It may have happened more than once. But which ship. It was on I cannot tell. However. In one. At least. Of the great. Brigade duels with the English. In which the navy was really baptized. Note 8 it happened that a round shot from the enemy entered one of our. Port Square. And took right down the officer of the gun himself. And. Almost every man of the gun's crew. Now you may say what you choose. About courage. But that is not a nice thing to see. But. As the men who. Were not killed picked themselves up. And as they and the surgeons. People were carrying off the bodies. There appeared Nolan. In his. Shirt sleeves. With the rammer in his hand. And. Just as if he had been. The officer. Told them off with authority. Who should go to the. Cockpit with the wounded men. Who should stay with him. Perfectly. Cheery. And with that way which makes men feel sure all is right and is. Going to be right. And he finished loading the gun with his own hands. Aimed it. And bade the men fire. And there he stayed. Captain of that. Gun. Keeping those fellows in spirits. Till the enemy struck. Sitting. On the carriage while the gun was cooling. Though he was exposed all the. Time. Showing them easier ways to handle heavy shot. Making the raw. Hands laugh at their own blunders. And when the gun cooled again. Getting it loaded and fired twice as often as any other gun on the ship. The captain walked forward by way of encouraging the men. And Nolan. Touched his hat and said. I am showing them how we do this in the artillery. Sir. And this is the part of the story where all the legends agree. The Commodore said. I see you do. And I thank you. Sir. And I shall never forget this day. Sir. And you never shall. Sir. And after the whole thing was over. And he had the Englishman's sword. In the midst of the state and ceremony of the quarter deck. He said. Where is Mr. Nolan? Ask Mr. Nolan to come here. And when Nolan came, he said, Mr. Nolan, we are all very grateful to you today.
you are one of us. Today. You will be named in the dispatches. And then the old man took off his own sword of ceremony. And gave it to. Nolan. And made him put it on. The man told me this who saw it. Nolan. Cried like a baby. And well he might. He had not worn a sword since that. Infernal day at Fort Adams. But always afterwards on occasions of. Ceremony. He wore that quaint old French sword of the Commodores. The captain did mention him in the dispatches. It was always said he. Asked that he might be pardoned. He wrote a special letter to the. Secretary of War. But nothing ever came of it. As I said. That was about. The time when they began to ignore the whole transaction at Washington. And when Nolan's imprisonment began to carry itself on because there was. Nobody to stop it without any new orders from home. I have heard it said that he was with Porter when he took possession of. The Nikahiwa Islands. Not this Porter. You know. But old Porter. His. Father. Essex Porter. That is. The old Essex Porter. Not this Essex. Note 9 as an artillery officer. Who had seen service in the West. Nolan knew more about fortifications. Embrasures. Ravelins. Stockades. And all that. Than any of them did. And he worked with a right goodwill. In fixing that battery all right. I have always thought it was a pity. Porter did not leave him in command there with Gamble. That would have. Settled all the question about his punishment. We should have kept the. Islands. And at this moment we should have one station in the Pacific. Ocean. Our French friends. Two. When they wanted this little. Watering place. Would have found it was preoccupied. But Madison and the. Virginians. Of course. Blung all that away. All that was near 50 years ago. If Nolan was 30 then. He must. Have been near 80 when he died. He looked 60 when he was 40. But he never seemed to me to change a hair afterwards. As I imagine his. Life. From what I have seen and heard of it. He must have been in every. See. And yet almost never on land. He must have known. In a formal way. More officers in our service than any man living knows. He told me once. With a grave smile. That no man in the world lived so methodical a life. As he. You know the boys say I am the iron mask. And you know how busy. He was. He said it did not do for anyone to try to read all the time. More than to do anything else all the time. And that he used to read. Just five hours a day. Then. He said. I keep up my notebooks. Writing. In them at such and such hours from what I have been reading. And I. Include in these my scrapbooks. These were very curious indeed. He had. Six or eight. Of different subjects. There was one of history. One of. Natural science.
one which he called odds and ends. But they were not. Merely books of extracts from newspapers. They had bits of plants and ribbons. Shells tied on. And carved scraps of bone and wood. Which he had taught the men to cut for him. And they were beautifully illustrated. He drew admirably. He had some of the funniest drawings there. And some of the most pathetic that I have ever seen in my life. I wonder who will have Nolan's scrapbooks. Well, he said his reading and his notes were his profession. And that they took five hours and two hours respectively of each day. Then, said he, every man should have a diversion as well as a profession. My natural history is my diversion. That took two hours a day more. The men used to bring him birds and fish. But on a long cruise he had to satisfy himself with centipedes and cockroaches and such small game. He was the only naturalist I ever met who knew anything about the habits of the housefly and the mosquito. All those people can tell you whether they are underscore lepidoptera underscore or underscore steptopodera underscore. But as for telling how you can get rid of them or how they get away from you when you strike them. Why Linnaeus knew as little of that as John Foy the idiot did. These nine hours made Nolan's regular daily occupation. The rest of the time he talked or walked till he grew very old. He went aloft a great deal. He always kept up his exercise. And I never heard that he was ill. If any other man was ill, he was the kindest nurse in the world. And he knew more than half the surgeons do. Then if anybody was sick or died, or if the captain wanted him to, on any other occasion, he was always ready to read prayers. I have said that he read beautifully. My own acquaintance with Philip Nolan began six or eight years after the English War. On my first voyage after I was appointed a midshipman. It was in the first days after our slave trade treaty. While the reigning house, which was still the House of Virginia, had still a sort of sentimentalism about the suppression of the horrors of the middle passage and something was sometimes done that way. We were in the South Atlantic on that business. From the time I joined, I believe I thought, Nolan was a sort of lay chaplain. A chaplain with a blue coat. I never asked about him. Everything in the ship was strange to me. I knew it was green to ask questions. And I suppose I thought there was a plain buttons on every ship. We had him to dine in our mess once a week. And the caution was given that on that day nothing was to be said about home. But if they had told us not to say anything about the planet, Mars or the book of Deuteronomy, I should not have asked why. There were a great many things which seemed to me to have as little reason. I first came to understand anything about the men without a country one day. When we overhauled a dirty little schooner which had slaves on board. 
officer was sent to take charge of her. And, after a few minutes, he sent back his boat to ask that someone might be sent him who could speak Portuguese. We were all looking over the rail when the message came. And we all wished we could interpret. When the captain asked who spoke Portuguese, but none of the officers did. And just as the captain was sending forward to ask if any of the people could, Nolan stepped out and said he should be glad to interpret if the captain wished. As he understood the language, the captain thanked him, fitted out another boat with him, and in this boat it was my luck to go. When we got there, it was such a scene as you seldom see, and never want, to, nastiness beyond account, and chaos run loose in the midst of the, nastiness. There were not a great many of the Negroes, but by way of, making what there were understand that they were free. Vaughn had had, their handcuffs and ankle cuffs knocked off, and, for convenience sake, was putting them upon the rascals of the schooner's crew. The Negroes were, most of them, out of the hold, and swarming all round the dirty deck, with a central throng surrounding Vaughn and addressing him in every dialect, and patois of a dialect, from the Zulu click up to the origin of Biladel Jareed. No 10. As we came on deck, Vaughn looked down from a hogshead, on which he had, mounted in desperation, and said, For God's love, is there anybody who can make these wretches understand, something? The men gave them rum, and that did not quiet them. I knocked, that big fellow down twice, and that did not soothe him. And then I, talk chock ta to all of them together. And I'll be hanged if they, understood that as well as they understood the English. Nolan said he could speak Portuguese. And one or two fine looking, crewmen were dragged out. Who, as it had been found already, had worked. For the Portuguese on the coast at Fernando Po. Tell them they are free. Said Vaughn and tell them that these rascals are to be hanged as soon as we can get rope enough. Nolan put that into Spanish. Dash that is. He explained it in such Portuguese as the crewmen could understand. And they in turn to such of the Negroes as could understand them. Then there was such a yell of delight. Clenching of fists. Leaping and dancing. Kissing of Nolan's feet, and a general rush made to the hogshead by way of spontaneous worship of Vaughn, as the underscore deus ex machina underscore of the occasion. Tell them, said Vaughn, well pleased, that I will take them all to Cape Palmas. This did not answer so well. Cape Palmas was practically as far from the Homes of most of them as New Orleans or Rio Janeiro was. That is. They. Would be eternally separated from home there. And their interpreters.
as we could understand instantly said underscore a non palmas underscore and began to propose infinite other expedients in most voluble language Vaughn was rather disappointed at this result of his liberality and asked Nolan eagerly what they said the drops stood on poor Nolan's white forehead as he hushed the men down and said he says not Palmas he says take us home take us to our own country take us to our own house take us to our own pickaninnies and our own women he says he has an old father and mother who will die if they do not see him and this one says he left his people all sick and paddled down to Fernando to beg the white doctor to come and help them and that these devils caught him in the bay just inside of home and that he has never seen anybody from home since then and this one says choked out Nolan that he has not heard a word from his home in six months while he has been locked up in an infernal barracoon Vaughn always said he grew gray himself while Nolan struggled through this interpretation I who did not understand anything of the passion involved in it saw that the very elements were melting with fervent heat and that something was to pay somewhere even the Negroes themselves stopped howling as they saw Nolan's agony and Vaughn's almost equal agony of sympathy as quick as he could get words he said tell them yes 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 tell them they shall go to the mountains of the moon if they will if I sail the schooner through the great white desert they shall go home and after some fashion Nolan said so and then they all fell to kissing him again and wanted to rub his nose with theirs but he could not stand it long and getting Vaughn to say he might go back he beckoned me down into our boat as we lay back in the stern sheets and the men gave way he said to me youngster let that show you what it is to be without a family without a home and without a country and if you are ever tempted to say a word or to do a thing that shall put a bar between you and your family your home and your country pray God in his mercy to take you that instant home to his own heaven stake by your family boy forget you have a self while you do everything for them think of your home boy write and send and talk about it let it be nearer and nearer to your thought the farther you have to travel from it and rush back to it when you are free as that poor black slave is doing now and for your country boy and the words rattled in his throat dash and for that flag and he pointed to the ship never dream a dream but of serving her as she bids you though the 
service carry you through a thousand hells. No matter what happens to you. No matter who flatters you or who abuses you. Never look at another flag. Never let a night pass but you pray God to bless that flag. Remember, boy, that behind all these men you have to do with behind officers and government and people even there is the country herself your country and that you belong to her as you belong to your own mother stand by her boy as you would stand by your mother if those devils there had got hold of her today I was frightened to death by his calm hard passion but I blundered out that I would by all that was holy and that I had never thought of doing anything else he hardly seemed to hear me but he did almost in a whisper say oh if anybody had said so to me when I was of your age I think it was this half confidence of his which I never abused or I never told this story till now which afterward made us great friends he was very kind to me often he sat up or even got up at night to walk the deck with me when it was my watch he explained to me a great deal of my mathematics and I owe to him my taste for mathematics he lent me books and helped me about my reading he never alluded so directly to his story again but from one and another officer I have learned in 30 years what I am telling when we parted from him in st Thomas Harbor at the end of our cruise I was more sorry than I can tell I was very glad to meet him again in 1830 and later in life when I thought I had some influence in Washington I moved heaven and earth to have him discharged but it was like getting a ghost out of prison they pretended there was no such man and never was such a man they will say so at the department now perhaps they do not know it will not be the first thing in the service of which the department appears to know nothing there is a story that Nolan met for once on one of our vessels when a party of Americans came on board in the Mediterranean but this I believe to be a lie or rather it is a myth underscore Ben Trovato underscore involving a tremendous blowing up with which he sunk Burr asking him how he liked to be without a country but it is clear from Burr's life that nothing of the sort could have happened and I mention this only as an illustration of the stories which get a going where there is the least mystery at bottom Philip Nolan poor fellow repented of his folly and then like a man submitted to the fate he had asked for he never intentionally added to 
the difficulty or delicacy of the charge of those who had him in hold. Accidents would happen. But never from his fault. Lieutenant Truxton told me that when Texas was annexed, there was a careful discussion among the officers whether they should get hold of Nolan's handsome set of maps and cut Texas out of it. From the map of the world and the map of Mexico, the United States had been cut out when the Atlas was bought for him. But it was voted rightly enough that to do this would be virtually to reveal to him what had happened. Or, as Harry Cole said, to make him think old Burr had succeeded. So it was from no fault of Nolan's that a great botch happened at my own table. When, for a short time, I was in command of the George Washington Corvette. On the South American station, we were lying in the La Plata, and some of the officers, who had been on shore and had just joined again, were entertaining us with accounts of their misadventures in riding the half-wild horses of Buenos Aires. Nolan was at table, and was in an unusually bright and talkative mood. Some story of a tumble reminded him of an adventure of his own when he was catching wild horses in Texas with his adventurous cousin at a time when he must have been quite a boy he told the story with a good deal of spirit so much so that the silence which often follows a good story hung over the table for an instant to be broken by Nolan himself or he asked perfectly unconsciously Ray, what has become of Texas? After the Mexicans got their independence, I thought that province of Texas would come forward very fast. It is really one of the finest regions on earth. It is the Italy of this continent. But I have not seen or heard a word of Texas for near 20 years. There were two Texan officers at the table. The reason he had never heard of Texas was that Texas and her affairs had been painfully cut out of his newspapers since Austin began his settlements. So that, while he read of Honduras and Tamaulipas, and, till quite lately, of California, this virgin province, in which his brother had traveled so far, and I believe, had died, had ceased to be to him. Waters and Williams, the two Texas men, looked grimly at each other and tried not to laugh. Edward Morris had his attention attracted by the third link in the chain of the captain's chandelier. Watrous was seized with a convulsion of sneezing. Nolan himself saw that something was to pay. He did not know. What? And I, as master of the feast, had to say, Texas is out of the map. Mr. Nolan, have you seen Captain Bax? Curious account of Sir Thomas Rose welcome. After that cruise I never saw Nolan again. I wrote to him at least twice. A year.
for in that voyage we became even confidentially intimate. But, he never wrote to me. The other men tell me that in those fifteen years, he aged very fast. As well he might indeed. But that he was still the same gentle, uncomplaining, silent sufferer that he ever was. Bearing as best he could his self-appointed punishment. Rather less social. Perhaps. With new men whom he did not know. But more anxious. Apparently. Than ever to serve and befriend and teach the boys. Some of whom fairly seemed to worship him. And now it seems the dear old fellow is dead. He has found a home at last. And a country. Since writing this. And while considering whether or no I would print. It. As a warning to the young Nolans and Volandigams and Tatnals of. Today of what it is to throw away a country. I have received from. Danforth who is on board the Levant. A letter which gives an account of Nolan's last hours. It removes all my doubts about telling this story. The reader will understand Danforth's letter or the beginning of it if he will remember that after ten years of Nolan's exile everyone who had him in charge was in a very delicate position. The government had failed to renew the order of 1807 regarding him. What was a man to do? Should he let him go? What? Then, if he were called to account by the department for violating the order of 1807, should he keep him? What? Then, if Nolan should be liberated someday and should bring in Action for false imprisonment or kidnapping against every man who had Had him in charge I urged and pressed this upon Southard And I have Reason to think that other officers did the same thing But the Secretary always said As they so often do at Washington That there Were no special orders to give And that we must act on our own Judgment that means, if you succeed, you will be sustained. If you fail, you will be disavowed. Well, as Danforth says, all that is over. Now, though I do not know but I expose myself to a criminal prosecution, on the evidence of the very revelation I am making, here is the letter. Levant. Two degrees two minutes south. At 131 degrees west. Dear Fred. I try to find heart and life to tell you that it is all. Over with dear old Nolan. I have been with him on this voyage more than. I ever was. And I can understand wholly now the way in which you used. To speak of the dear old fellow. I could see that he was not strong. But. I had no idea the end was so near. The doctor has been watching him very carefully. And yesterday morning came to me and told me that Nolan was not so well and had not left his stateroom. A thing I never remember. Before, he had let the doctor come and see him as he lay there. The 
first time the doctor had been in the stateroom. And he said he should. Like to see me. Oh. Dear. Do you remember the mysteries we boys used to? Invent about his room in the old intrepid days? Well. I went in. And. There. To be sure. The poor fellow lay in his berth. Smiling pleasantly. As he gave me his hand. But looking very frail. I could not help it. Glance round. Which showed me what a little shrine he had made of the. Box he was lying in. The stars and stripes were triced up above and. Around a picture of Washington. And he had painted a majestic eagle. With lightnings blazing from his beak and his foot just clasping the. Whole globe. Which his wings overshadowed. The dear old boy saw my. Glance. And said. With a sad smile. Here. You see. I have a country. And then he pointed to the foot of his bed. Where I had not seen before. A great map of the United States. As he had drawn it from memory. And. Which he had there to look upon as he lay. Quaint. Queer old names were. On it. In large letters. Indiana Territory. Mississippi Territory. And Louisiana Territory. As I suppose our fathers learned such things. But the old fellow had patched in Texas. Too. He had carried his western. Boundary all the way to the Pacific. But on that shore he had defined. Nothing. Oh captain. He said. I know I am dying. I cannot get home. Surely you. Will tell me something now. Stop. Stop. Do not speak till I say what I. Am sure you know. That there is not in this ship. That there is not in. America. God bless her. A more loyal man than I. There cannot be a man. Who loves the old flag as I do. Or prays for it as I do. Or hopes for it. As I do. There are 34 stars in it now. Danforth. I thank God. For that. Though I do not know what their names are. There has never. Been one taken away. I thank God for that. I know by that that there has. Never been any successful burr. Oh Danforth. Danforth. He sighed out. How like a wretched night's dream a boy's idea of personal fame or of. Separate sovereignty seems. When one looks back on it after such a life. As mine. But tell me. Tell me something. Tell me everything. Danforth. Before I die. Ingham. I swear to you that I felt like a monster that I had not told. Him everything before. Danger or no danger. Delicacy or no delicacy. Who. Was I. That I should have been acting the tyrant all this time over this. Dear. Sainted old man. Who had years ago expiated. In his whole. Manhood's life. The madness of a boy's treason. Mr. Nolan. Said I. I. 
will tell you everything you ask about. Only. Where shall I begin? Oh. The blessed smile that crept over his white face. And he pressed my. And and said. God bless you. Tell me their names. He said. And he. Pointed to the stars on the flag. The last I know is Ohio. My father. Lived in Kentucky. But I have guessed Michigan and Indiana and. Mississippi. That was where Fort Adams is. They make 20. But where? Are your other 14? You have not cut up any of the old ones. I. Hope. Well. That was not a bad text. And I told him the names in as good. Order as I could. And he bade me take down his beautiful map and draw. Them in as I best could with my pencil. He was wild with delight about Texas told me how his cousin died there he had marked a gold cross near where he supposed his grave was and he had guessed at Texas then he was delighted as he saw California and Oregon that he said he had suspected partly because he had never been permitted to land on that sure Though the ships were there so much. And the men. Said he. Laughing. Brought off a good deal besides furs. Then he went back. Heavens. How far. To ask about the Chesapeake. And what was done to. Baron for surrendering her to the leopard. Note 11 and whether Burr. Ever tried again. And he ground his teeth with the only passion he showed but in a moment that was over and he said god forgive me or i am sure i forgive him then he asked about the old war told me the true story of his serving the gun the day we took the java asked about dear old david porter as he called him then he settled down more quietly and very happily to hear me tell in an hour the history of 50 years how I wished it had been somebody who knew something but I did as well as I could I told him of the English war I told him about Fulton and the steamboat beginning I told him about old Scott and Jackson told him all I could think of about the Mississippi and New Orleans and Texas and his own old Kentucky and do you think he asked who was in command of the Legion of the West I told him it was a very gallant officer named Grant and that by our last news he was about to establish his headquarters at Vicksburg then where was Vicksburg I worked that out on the map it was about a hundred miles more or less above his old Fort Adams and I thought Fort Adams must be a ruin now it must be at old Vicks plantation at Walnut Hills said he well that is a change I tell you Ingham 
it was a hard thing to condense the history of half a century into that talk with a sick man. And I do not now know what I told him of emigration and the means of it, of steamboats and railroads and telegraphs, of inventions and books and literature, of the colleges and West Point and the Naval School. But with the queerest interruptions that ever you heard. You see it was Robinson. Crusoe asking all the accumulated questions of 56 years. I remember he asked. All of a sudden. Who was president now? And when I. Told him. He asked if old Abe was General Benjamin Lincoln's son. He. Said he met old General Lincoln. When he was quite a boy himself at some Indian treaty. I said no. That old Abe was a Kentuckian like himself. But I could not tell him of what family he had worked up from the ranks. Good for him. Cried Nolan. I am glad of that. As I have brooded and wondered. I have thought our danger was in keeping up those regular successions in the first families. Then I got talking about my visit to Washington. I told him of meeting the Oregon Congressman Harding. I told him about the Smithsonian and the exploring expedition. I told him about the Capitol and the statues for the pediment and Crawford's Liberty and Greenoff's Washington Ingham. I told him, everything I could think of that would show the grandeur of his country, and its prosperity. But I could not make up my mouth to tell him a word, about this infernal rebellion. And he drank it in and enjoyed it as I cannot tell you. He grew more, and more silent. Yet I never thought he was tired or faint. I gave him a, glass of water. But he just wet his lips and told me not to go away. Then he asked me to bring the Presbyterian Book of Public Prayer which lay there, and said, with a smile, that it would open at the right place. And so it did. There was his double red mark down the page. And I knelt down and read. And he repeated with me, for ourselves and our country, O oh, gracious God, we thank these, that, notwithstanding our manifold transgressions of thy holy laws, thou hast continued to us thy marvelous kindness, and so to the end of that thanksgiving. Then he turned to the end of the same book, and I read the words more familiar to me. Most heartily we beseech thee with thy favor to behold and bless thy servant, the President of the United States, and all others in authority, and the rest of the Episcopal collect. Danforth, said he, I have repeated those prayers night and morning. It is now fifty-five years. And then he said he would go to sleep. He bent me down over him and kissed me, 
And he said, Look in my Bible. Captain, when I am gone. And I went away. But I had no thought it was the end. I thought he was tired and would sleep. I knew he was happy. And I wanted him to be alone. But in an hour, when the doctor went in gently, he found Nolan had breathed his life away with a smile. He had something pressed close to his lips. It was his father's badge of the Order of the Cincinnati. We looked in his Bible, and there was a slip of paper at the place where he had marked the text. They desire a country, even a heavenly. Wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. On this slip of paper he had written, Bury me in the sea. It has been my home, and I love it, but will not. Someone set up a stone for my memory no twelve at Fort Adams or at Orleans, that my disgrace may not be more than I ought to bear. Say on it, underscore in memory of underscore, Philip Nolan, underscore lieutenant in the Army of the United States underscore. He loved his country as no other man has loved her, but no man deserved less at her hands.